Imagine a business built on what matters most to you. One inspired by creativity and connection, where purpose leads to profit and wealth is measured not just by your bottom line, but by your higher self. Welcome to the Work Your Inner Wisdom podcast, where we connect the spiritual with the practical to create a holistic approach to entrepreneurship. Leave the hustle behind and let your intuition lead the way as you grow a successful, fulfilling business and a joyful, radiant life. Hello, my wise ones, and welcome to another episode of the Work Your Inner Wisdom podcast. My name is Lee Shea McDonough. I am your host, and I'm really excited to bring you today's episode. This is now lucky number 13, episode number 13. And I realized that for the last 12 episodes, every Make It Work moment has been brought to you by my book, Act on Your Business, Braving the Storms of Entrepreneurship and Creating Success Through Meaning, Mindset, and Mindfulness. And that's great, right? But I've realized that I haven't really told you much about the book itself or what's in it. And I thought it might be kind of fun today to spend some time diving into the three M's, meaning, mindset, and mindfulness, and why I think they are critical for every entrepreneur, but especially every spiritual entrepreneur to understand. I really believe that the three M's, meaning, mindset, and mindfulness, are the pillars of every successful business and also every fulfilling life. So today I'm going to take you on a deep dive of each of the three M's and tell you a little bit more about how they show up in my business and also why I decided to write this book in the first place. So I hope you find this behind the scenes tour both interesting, but also applicable to your business. And remember, after you listen to this episode, you can head over to the Work Your Inner Wisdom Facebook community and drop me a line in the episode thread. Let me know what you think of it. So before I go into the three M's, I want to talk a little bit about the inspiration for the book and its title, Act on Your Business. It's a bit of a play on words because certainly I want you taking action. I want you to act on your business. But ACT also stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And that is a very specific type of therapeutic approach that is grounded in mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. And about, wow, 10 years ago, I'd say, I was working for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and I was doing a lot of work around anxiety and depression and post-traumatic stress disorder with veterans. And while I was there, the VA offered a training program in what was then kind of an up-and-coming approach, and it was ACT. So I had done a little bit of research into ACT. I was trying to teach myself the fundamentals, but then I went to this training and it just was extraordinary. It was one of those life events where I knew there was life before ACT and there was life after ACT. It was definitely a seminal moment for me. And I knew at the time that this would be a powerful approach and transformative, not only for my clients, but for myself as well. And actually, after that initial training, I spent six months in a very intensive traineeship during which time I had mentoring. And I would take ACT and I would use it with my clients. But I had a mentor in the program who also said to me, look, if you are going to be an ACT practitioner, you have to walk the talk. You can't just use it with your clients. That's not how this works. You have to actually apply it to your own life. And so that's what I did. I went all in with the principles of ACT. And over the last 10 years, ACT has been my bedrock. It's what I've gone back to 
whether life is going really well for me, whether I'm facing a challenging period, it's been the one thing that has been constant in my life over the last 10 years, and it has completely and fundamentally changed my worldview. And that's one of the things that I love so much about ACT, is that regardless of what's going on in your life, whether things are the best they've ever been or whether you are facing the deepest crisis you've ever experienced, whether you just want to be more mindful and aware of your own experience or whether you really need guidance, the principles of ACT are universally applicable. And that's why I love it so much. It's, it's powerful, it's flexible, and it can transform every single aspect of your life. And that's kind of what's funny about my book. I know my book is called Act on Your Business, and I absolutely wrote it for small business owners and entrepreneurs. So the book talks about applying ACT in a business context, but I tell people that the secret about this book is that it's not really about business at all. And if you apply the principles of ACT and you want to see success in your business, you absolutely will. But it's really more about learning how to relate to yourself and the world around you and how to relate to the people in your lives in a very different way, in a very compassionate way. You know, I know when I found ACT, I was in a place in my life where I was really struggling with my own self-doubt, with my own anxieties. And so when ACT came into my life, I just had the sense that, okay, this isn't just for my clients. This is for me too. And the thing about ACT is that even though it was originally developed as a therapeutic process, it's not limited to a therapeutic application. I really believe that it is how we can live our lives from a strengths-based perspective. So it's not about diagnosing or treating or fixing what's broken, but instead it really allows you to tap into your full potential, to connect with the essence of what makes you extraordinary, and then it empowers you to live your life from that perspective. So my orientation from an ACT perspective really is infused into everything that I do with my small business and entrepreneur clients. Um, I find it's particularly effective with my clients who struggle with imposter syndrome, the ones who wonder, you know, do I really have what it takes to make this work? Am I going to be found out? Am I a fraud? And, you know, the, the fact is we all have these inner trolls, these, uh, these inner gremlins, if you will, that create all of this terrible speech in our heads. You know, I don't know about you, but the voices in my head talk to me in such a way that I would never talk to anyone else. And that can feel really damaging and destructive, but ACT gives us a whole different way of viewing those voices. Truly, I believe that it's protective and that it comes from a place of love. Our minds are trying to keep us safe at all costs. And one of the ways it does that is by just pummeling us with criticism and self-doubt in order to keep us safe. It keeps us boxed in so that we don't get too far outside the boundaries of what's acceptable. It doesn't push us to the outside of the herd. And so in doing so, it keeps us with the group and it keeps us safe. And so for me, ACT is a part of understanding that the mind is not doing this to torture us. It's actually doing it to help us. And so from there, when we realize that, we see that we're in a position of choice, that we're able to talk back to the mind and say, look, I get it. I know what you're doing here. And I thank you for it. I know you're trying to keep me safe. And I know that you want me to be okay. But right now in my life, maybe I don't need to be safe. Maybe I need to be bold. Maybe I need to be brave and step forward and take a risk. Maybe that's what I'm being called to do right now. 
And so from that place of choice, then we can decide, do we want to buy into what the mind is saying, or do we want to give it a different task? So it doesn't have to be the drill sergeant anymore. It doesn't have to be the overactive safety monitor. It can be whatever we want it to be. The mind can become our greatest cheerleader. It can be our greatest support. But that doesn't happen without first developing an awareness of our thoughts and then knowing that we can choose whether to accept it or reject it. And so that's really at the heart of ACT. That's that's the second M, actually. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. That was a little bit of mindset talk. But when we couple that with the other two M's, with meaning and with mindfulness, then we create this powerful system through which we can build our businesses, grow our lives, and move forward with a deeper self-awareness and a sense of belonging and true joy. I mean, it's just so powerful. So that's why I'm so excited to share it with you today. So let's start with the first M, and that is meaning. And for me, meaning is about getting clear on what matters most to you. And so, you know, there's certainly different words we can use to describe that. In ACT, they tend to talk about values. Now, I'm probably dating myself here. I'm a child of the late 80s, early 90s. And so during that point in time, values was really a loaded word. And I remember that really the only time I had ever heard the word values up to that point was in the context of family values. And that was kind of the conservative political way of describing morality. And so growing up in that, I just, I didn't respond with that energy. And as a result, I attached a lot of negative associations to the word values. And it wasn't until I started learning about them through the lens of ACT that I started to relate to the word values in an entirely different way. And that's when I realized, okay, Family values from the 90s, that's, that's not values. That's not what we're talking about here. Values are not going to shame you or bully you into someone else's prescribed social behavior. That's, that's not what this is about. Values, in this context, is simply what do you want to build your life around? What matters to you? What gives your life a sense of meaning and purpose? So sometimes if people are uncertain, if they're not sure what their values are, I will ask them to imagine the person in their life that they love and respect the most, someone that they really appreciate, that they admire. And then I'll ask them, how do you want this person to talk about you? What kinds of things would you want them to say about you? And their responses help them get clear on what matters most. The minute we start thinking about what we want our life to be about and how we want to be defined and described by other people, there's a lot of rich information in there that can tell us a lot about our values. And so maybe for one person, they hold the value of service. For another person, perhaps it's freedom. And for a third person, maybe it's love. And and that's the thing about values is that there's no right or wrong when it comes to them. Values themselves are inherently neutral. It's the actions that we take as a result of our values that perhaps we can assign good or bad or right or wrong to. But values are simply asking, you know, what do you want your life to be about? And then from there, how can you take action in your life so that it is in alignment with what matters to you? So once you know what your values are, once you know what really matters, then all of a sudden you have a measuring stick 
for every single action you take in your life. And for me, my core values in my business and in my life are service, connection, joy, and love. And so when I am making decisions, whether in my business or in my life, I always have to ask myself, will the result of this decision be consistent with those values? Am I, am I anchoring my decisions and my actions in service, connection, joy, or love? And what's interesting is that I find that when I'm feeling particularly stressed or anxious or uncertain or sad, that's often a sign that I am living outside of my values and that something is going on and it's pulling me away from what matters most to me. So then the question becomes, okay, what's going on here? You know, why am I feeling distracted? Why am I not feeling aligned? And what is one small step that I can take to realign myself with what really matters? Now, sometimes it's not that I am living out of alignment with my values, but it's actually that there's a values clash that's going on, that two or more values are competing with each other. And the example that I use in my book and something that I've been experiencing over the last few weeks, actually, is a values clash between service and love when it comes to my work and my family. So during the school year, when my kids are at school, you know, eight to three, that's when I get most of my business work done. And it's certainly when I see my clients. And then three o'clock hits, I go into mom mode, I pick up my kids, and then I I handle homework and dinner and, and all of that stuff. But in the summer, things get a little wonky for a while. My kids are out of school, and I'm trying to balance how to show up and serve my clients powerfully, and how to take care of my family, show that I love them, and be present for them. And it's really hard. Every summer, the first few weeks after school ends is me making mistakes and trying to figure out how am I going to make all this work? What kind of routine can I set up that's going to serve my clients, but also allow me to be present for my kids? And so that's the clash between service and love. And it's not that there's inherently anything wrong with either value. I mean, both are really important to me. But sometimes things come up where it's hard for me to reconcile the two, as I've just described. And so because of that values clash, I know that every summer I have to figure out how to balance my desire to serve my clients with my desire to be present for my children. And and that's just one example. And so when I then approach decision making, I have to ask myself, is there a way to have both? And I may not be able to have both at the same time, but perhaps it looks like limiting my client work to the mornings and then spending the afternoon with my kids. Or maybe it's about having one full solid day of content creation for the podcast or so forth. And then the next day is a a family day. So I'm still working it out. And as my kids grow older, they need different things from me. And so it's, it's constantly a balancing act. And so, yeah, that's stressful, but that stress isn't because I'm out of alignment with my values. It's actually because I have a clash between two of them. And so sometimes it just takes a little time to figure out how to navigate that clash and how to come up with a solution that allows me to honor both. So that is a little bit about the first M, meaning. And now I want to talk more about the second M, which is mindset. And I kind of alluded to it a little earlier in the podcast. But let's let's start with kind of the classic definition of mindset. 
And that word has gained a great deal of popularity, I'd say, in the last decade or so,、uh, in large part because of a book by a woman named Carol Dweck. And in her book, Dr. Dweck talks about mindset as being how we view our skills, our abilities, and our talents. And so that if we believe that we are born with whatever we have, you know, you get what you get. There's no changing it. Then we have a fixed mindset. Whereas if we believe that we can grow and cultivate our skills and talents and abilities, well, that's more of a growth mindset. And so I prefer to think about mindset as being on a spectrum. And in some areas of our life, we may feel more fixed or that we're stuck where we're at. And in other areas, perhaps we see more opportunity for growth and for change. So I think Dr. Dweck's framework is a really valuable framework to look at mindset initially, but I want to expand it a bit. I want to view mindset as how we view our relationship with our internal experience, or how we relate to our thoughts and our emotions. So when I talk about cultivating your mindset, I'm talking about deciding how you want to relate to your thoughts and your feelings. And for some people, that's an entirely new concept because I'm asking you to view your thoughts and your emotions as something separate from you, and that might feel like a radically new concept—that your thoughts and your emotions are not you; that they're separate from you. And that's hard because they're so personal; they really feel like they are 100% us, you know. And and my argument is that your thoughts and your feelings are a part of you. But they are not all of you. Just like your hand is a part of you, but your hand is not all of you. Your leg is a part of you, but it's not all of you. And so the exact same thing is true with your mind and with your thoughts, and also with your emotions as well. So when we start to think about our thoughts and our feelings as something separate from us, then that's where the power is, because then we start to create space between our self-concept, our identity. And our thoughts and our feelings, and in that space, that's where we can decide how we want to respond to them, how we want to respond to that internal experience, all the thoughts and feelings and memories and the things that can shape who we are. But we get to decide the extent to which they define us. So let me share an example with you,、um, and it's it's a pretty personal one. It's something that really shaped my entire adult life. And it wasn't until about two or three years ago that I started unpacking it and seeing how this belief informed who I became and who I would become if I continued to buy into it. So when I was in my mid twenties, I was living in San Antonio with my husband as he was finishing up his residency, and I had one of my most favorite jobs ever. I was a social worker in a neonatal ICU, and so I worked in the NICU with. A team. There was one other social worker and then two nurses, and so the four of us were responsible for all of the case management and discharge planning needs for these infants and their families. And man, working on that NICU was extraordinary. I mean, there were some really, really hard days, and the sad days were extraordinarily tragic, but the good days were amazing. I loved that job, and I loved the team of women I worked with. But there was one day where we had our morning meeting, and one of the nurses was giving me the cold shoulder. She wasn't talking to me. She wasn't looking at me. I mean, I was completely frozen out. And this went on for a few days. 
and I didn't know what I had done wrong. And I could tell that the other nurse and social worker kind of felt caught in the middle and didn't really know what to do. They felt for me, but it wasn't really their place. But I was really hurting, and I think it became clear that I had no idea what was going on or what I had done. And as a result, I couldn't fix it if I didn't know. So the other social worker pulled me aside and said, look, you said something to this nurse. It hurt her feelings. And But the fact is, it's it's not just what you said, it's how you said it. And she just feels like you think you're better than she is. Um, and that hurts. She thinks that, you know, you're elitist. And I have to tell you, like, in the moment, it was almost like my world stopped. I, I remember it was a Friday afternoon. And I just kept saying to myself, but I'm not elitist. I, I don't think I'm better than anyone else. I mean, I'm a social worker for Pete's sake. I believe in the inherent dignity of all humankind. Like, I'm no better than anyone else. How could someone think that about me? And I remember I went home and I spent the whole weekend kind of processing this that like I was viewed in that way that this woman thought that I was that I was walking around thinking that I was superior to her and to everyone else and I saw how much pain that caused her that she was so upset and she couldn't even speak to me that I had hurt her so badly and so I was probably about 25 I think 25 or 26 when this happened and I took it very very personally and the message that I told myself as a result was that I was elitist and that if I wasn't careful, if I became too big, if I shone my light too brightly, then it would hurt other people. And so I needed to stay small and stay quiet uh, because that was what was best for everyone. And so for the next <laughs> 12, 13 years of my adult life, that was the message I told myself, be careful, Lee. Don't get too big for your britches. Otherwise, people will think you're elitist and then people will get hurt. And where will you be? And so that was the thought that I told myself for years. If you allow yourself to be who you really are, if you stand in your beauty and your talent, then you will hurt other people. And so it's not safe to be who you really are. And here's the thing. It didn't matter at all whether that was true or not. And to be honest with you, I didn't even think about whether or not it was true. I assumed it was because that's what my mind was telling me. And I had the proof in front of me. I'd hurt people because I was too big and too bold. And so I needed to tone it down. And as a result, I spent the next 12, 13 years of my life playing small. Now, don't get me wrong. I had a wonderful life. I went on to develop as a clinical social worker and a therapist. I had two children. I lived in Germany. I had wonderful friends. I mean, I really, really loved my life. But deep down, I had this belief that I wasn't a good enough person because I was elitist. And so I had to always make sure that I wasn't too big, that I wasn't standing out too much or else other people would get hurt. And it wasn't until later in my adulthood, several years after I first learned about ACT and started practicing the core principles, that I started to question whether that belief was true. And then what would be possible for me if that belief weren't true? What if it was safe for me to be who I really am, to be proud of myself and know that while I am talented and smart and a good person, 
that doesn't mean other people aren't, that there's enough for all of us, that we can all shine brightly and be brave and be bold. And me stepping forth and owning my power does not negate someone else's. And all of a sudden, I started viewing the world through a different lens. And it wasn't one of scarcity. And it wasn't this idea that for others to be big, I have to be small. But it was more that there's enough for all and that we can all rise together. And that was me moving on the spectrum between the fixed and the growth mindset. Instead of believing that there was a finite amount, that there was enough for everyone. And so ACT helped me do that. ACT helped me understand the limiting beliefs that my mind was churning out and my emotional responses to them, and then allowed me the gift of creating space and to decide whether I wanted to believe it and whether it was helping me or if there was another way to move forward. And so that's why I think the second M mindset is so critically important. It allows us to create space between our identity and our mind so that we understand that we don't have to buy every thought our mind gives us just because it's there, that we can retain the power of choice. And in that choice comes freedom. So now let me spend a little bit of time talking about the third M, which is mindfulness. So mindfulness is definitely a bit of a buzzword. And so I want to talk about what it is and what it's not. So when I first started learning about mindfulness, I had kind of that stereotypical view that I think many people have, that we imagine a yogi on a mountaintop seated with, you know, his or her legs crossed, having to meditate their way into bliss. And that was mindfulness. You know, and today I think mindfulness is a far more accepted practice, but there are still a lot of misconceptions about what it is and what it isn't. Um, so sometimes people might think mindfulness means stopping your thoughts or completely clearing your mind and making it blank. And that's actually not what it is, not even close. So my favorite definition of mindfulness actually comes from the psychologist and mindfulness expert, John Kabat-Zinn. And his definition is the most elegant and the simplest one I've come across. And he says, mindfulness is awareness that rises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. So basically, mindfulness means we're paying attention with intention, purpose, and non-judgment. There's nothing in there about not thinking or having a blank mind. And in fact, mindfulness expects us to have thoughts, but it provides us with a way of acknowledging them with intention and purpose and without judgment. So yes, sometimes mindfulness and meditation get confused with each other or conflated, and people believe that they're the same thing. And they are, you know, frequently paired together. It may seem like you can't have one without the other, but that's not true. Meditation can be a part of a mindfulness practice, but you don't have to meditate to practice mindfulness. And there are other ways than meditation to pay attention to the present moment. So no matter how you choose to practice it, the heart of mindfulness is showing up and being present with intention, purpose, and without judgment. So when I talk about intention, I mean being deliberate and thoughtful in how you relate to your thoughts, as opposed to resorting to your default mode that, let's be honest, most, most of us have it and most of us do it, in which we buy into our thoughts and we attach to them. So just know that mindfulness asks us to approach our thoughts in a different way. And rather than blindly accepting them as truth and getting caught up in them, Mindfulness encourages us to redirect our attention to the world around us or the world within us. 
And when we do that with intention, we are practicing mindfulness. And so the second component of mindfulness is purpose. And so this is not just the act of paying attention, but it also gets into the reason we are paying attention, which is to stay in the present moment and to live and invest fully in the moment. So purpose goes hand in hand with intention because when you are fully present in the moment, you're more connected to yourself and to the people that you're with and to the work that you're doing and to what matters most to you. So I'll be honest with you. I think intention and purpose are maybe the easier components of mindfulness. It's that last one, non-judgment, that can be really, really tricky. And it makes sense because it goes against our most basic instincts. You know, as humans, we're hardwired not only to pay attention to our surroundings, but to make judgments about them. And that's why we have survived for millennia. Those opinions and judgments that our mind formed kept us safe and allowed our species to not just survive, but to thrive. So because of this, the mind became the safety monitor, helping us to determine whether we needed to fight, flee, freeze, or operate as usual. But here's the problem. Our society has evolved, but our mind hasn't as quickly. We still have that reptilian brain that processes all threats the same way, and the mind responds accordingly. So our mind doesn't differentiate between the saber-toothed tiger or the obnoxious boss. It doesn't differentiate between possible invaders or a looming deadline. It's all viewed as a threat that needs to be mitigated. And it's not just limited to matters of safety and security either. Our minds are always on and formulating judgments and opinions even when we're safe because that's our default process and often we don't even realize we're doing it. You know, we see someone or something and we automatically size it up and, and make a judgment about it. So our mind is like this judgment factory that converts observations to judgments and it is just churning them out day in and day out. And it's not limited to the external world either. We do it to our own internal process as well. And that can be particularly damaging. That's when our inner critic can go on overdrive and maybe we ruminate or we tell ourselves messages. And again, that influences our behavior. And when we go on judgment overload, it affects our ability to connect with other people and with ourselves. And so that's why approaching mindfulness from a place of non-judgment is so important and it's not easy but we can approach our thoughts with a sense of curiosity and openness so that when those judgments arise, and they will, they always do, we see them for what they are and we're able to bring the judgment factory to a halt. We don't fall into our default tendency to immediately buy into the thought. Instead, we just notice what's happening. So instead of having the thought and it controlling us, we can stop and say, oh, look, I'm noticing that I'm having the thought. No judgment, no meaning. All we're doing is noticing. So this is one of those things that is simple, but not easy. You know, because we are going against the mind's default tendency to judge, which feels really uncomfortable. And that's why we call it mindfulness practice. It really does take practice to approach our thoughts with openness, with curiosity, and with a little bit of distance. But when we do so, it can completely revolutionize the way we show up whether in our businesses or with our families or in our lives. And I think what I appreciate most about the three M's is that they're not separate and distinct approaches. They actually work in harmony with each other. So when we're engaging in mindfulness, we're focusing on bringing our full attention to the present moment, 
doing so with purpose, with intention, while removing judgment. And we anchor ourselves in the here and now. And when we do that, we're able to truly connect with what matters most to us, with our values, and we're able to observe what's going on in our mind, where our thoughts are, where our emotions are, and we don't have to buy into them. We can take grounded action accordingly. So while we can practice each of the three M's separately, they really do work together to support and enhance each other. So I hope that this podcast has not just explained what each of the three M's are and why they're important on their own, but why collectively they work together to help us grow profitable businesses and create fulfilling lives. So now it's time for the make it work moment. And yes, it is brought to you by my book, Act on Your Business, Braving the Storms of Entrepreneurship and Creating Success Through Meaning, Mindset, and Mindfulness. Hopefully today's episode has given you a great introduction to those three M's. And if you'd like to learn more about them and how to implement them in your business and your life, then be sure to head over to Amazon where you can download Act on Your Business for your Kindle, or you can buy your paperback copy. You can also learn more about it at the book's website, actonyourbusiness.com. So for today's Make It Work moment, I want you to imagine the three M's creating a triangle. So one side is meaning, the other side is mindset, and the third side is mindfulness. And ideally, I think when all three sides are equal, so we have an equilateral triangle, then we're living in balance. But sometimes one of the legs gets a little shorter than the others, and maybe that's an area where we need to spend a little more time and a little more attention cultivating that M. And so I would ask you to take stock of where you are in your business and in your life with regard to meaning or determining what matters to you, with regard to mindset or how you relate to your own thoughts and feelings, and with regard to mindfulness or how you're showing up to the present moment. Of the three, which do you feel strongest in? and which might require a little more of your attention. So that's all I'm asking of you today is to do a quick internal review and ask yourself which of the three M's you're strongest in and which of the three could benefit from a little additional attention. Because in future episodes, I will go into greater depth about some core processes that can help you strengthen the three M's. And if you would like a sneak peek, well, then you know what to do. Just pick up your copy of Act on Your Business and let me know what you think about it over at the Work Your Inner Wisdom Facebook community. I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of the Work Your Inner Wisdom podcast. You can find show notes for today's episode over at workyourinnerwisdom.com slash 13. So that's one three. And if you haven't already signed up for the Wisdom Library, you'll definitely want to do that while you're at my website. Not only will you get access to tools and resources to help you build your spiritually aligned business, but you will also receive a weekly deeper dive email every Sunday where we go into the make it work moment and provide some additional detail to what we discuss in the podcast episode. Many, many thanks to those of you who have already left a review over at Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's really such an honor to read your reviews and to hear your thoughts about the podcast. And your reviews help other entrepreneurs find the show. So again, to those of you who have left your reviews, thank you so much. And if you haven't, then I would love for you to take two minutes 
and leave a review over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Work Your Inner Wisdom podcast. My name is Lee Shea McDonough. I hope you have a wonderful week and remember to let your inner wisdom lead the way.